Okay, if you have a Bible with you, if you'd like to turn to Acts and chapter 2, uh, just while you're finding your way there, if you, uh, maybe even after the meeting today, if you head out into the marketplace, you will see that there is a Christmas tree in place now. So they've been doing all the Christmas decorations in the town and the tree went up today and it got me thinking actually Christmas is coming up pretty quickly and wondering where people are at with their preparations. I saw on a on uh, social media that some people were putting up decorations yesterday. Has anyone here put up any decorations yet? No, not yet. Everyone, everyone's looking at me like I'm speaking completely out of turn here. People are doing this. Uh, has anyone started listening to any Christmas music yet? Yes, okay, so we've got a few for Christmas music. Um, obviously all of the adverts are out, aren't they? All of the Christmas adverts that everyone likes to keep an eye out for. Has anyone watched any Christmas films? Yeah, we've got some. So our, our children yesterday watched a film called Jingle Jangle. Sounds very Christmassy. It is very Christmassy. Um, but actually, was it last year? They were watching The Grinch in October. So we were well ahead of it last year. But to be fair, all of the rules went out the window last year, didn't they, anyway? So I thought that was all right. Uh, but we are starting to, people are starting to get their eyes uh, fixed on Christmas and their attention fixed on Christmas. Uh, and actually, next Sunday is the beginning of Advent. I don't think anyone's Advent calendars will start on the 28th of November. Maybe they're, they're missing a trick there. Uh, but it is the start of Advent next week. So as of next week, we are going to start looking towards Christmas and uh, having that time of preparation as we do look to Christmas and reflect uh, upon that and prepare ourselves for that. But this week, as Mike said, is, so this week is going to be our last week in our devotion series where we've been spending, this is the fifth week, um, did four fingers, but it's five, five, it should have been fifth week, uh, where we've been spending some time in Acts chapter 2, verse 42 to 47, and looking really at this, a bit of a snapshot really of the life of the Jerusalem church, and seeing that there were four things in particular uh, that they were devoting themselves to. And Pete, again, last week really helpfully reminding us that when we're talking about being devoted to something, we're talking about being stuck to something or being glued uh, to it. And so we've been thinking about what it means to be a people who are devoted to the apostles' teaching, what it looks like to be devoted to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And so we're going to, say, conclude uh, this series this morning. For, for me personally, I've loved spending time in these verses. There's been so much that's come out, particularly for the weeks, not just in the weeks I've been preparing, actually, but there's been much that I've been stirred by and provoked by, a lot I've been challenged by, but also encouraged by as well. And just this real vision of the, of the church and God's heart for the church has been amazing. So let's pick up from uh, chapter 2 and verse 42 again. Um, so if you've been with us over the last few weeks, should be familiar verses now, but it's good to read them again. Uh, let's see what God would say to us. So it says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together, and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favour with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Okay, so in weeks one to four, so in week one, we spent time thinking again about the apostles' teaching. Week two, we thought about fellowship. Three, breaking of bread. And last week, Pete did an amazing job helping us to really consider what it looks like to be devoted to prayer. 
Um, whereas this week, what I want to do is look in, you, you know, we see those really in verse, in verse um, 40, in, in verse 42, but I want us to kind of unpack the rest of the verses, really, and just to draw out and, and highlight uh, a couple of areas. There are a couple of areas that I want to draw out. The first one being around generosity that we see, and the second being around growth. Okay, so we're going to spend a little bit of time thinking about both of those. So let's consider then generosity and what we're seeing in the Jerusalem church uh, in terms of what they were doing, in terms of their actions, in terms of what it meant for them to be together, but to live generously together. You see, the, when we were looking at fellowship back in week two, the approach that we took was more looking at in terms of our heart posture and our attitude. If you remember, we were thinking about what it means to be those who humble ourselves and to consider others higher than, higher than ourselves. So really we were thinking about, actually, if we are to be in fellowship together, if we are to be partnering together in one common purpose then actually how do we relate to one another? That coming from and living in a very individualistic culture that we do here in the West, actually that's a challenge to us. Because fellowship, biblically, fellowship and the fellowship that God calls us to is actually about putting others ahead of ourselves rather than what can I get from this. So that was our focus on fellowship then. But actually, if we read in uh, verses 44 to 45, it says that all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. So we see that part of the fellowship of being together and having all things in common was that actually there was a generosity in their time, giving of their time, but also a generosity in the giving of their possessions and of what they had. Then we see... That, as need, that we see that in the church needs were arising, the needs were recognised, and then the needs were met by the believers in the church through that fellowship. And it's important for us to realise, and essential for us to realise, that this is not some sort of forced collectivism where everyone is being forced to, look, we're going to pull everything that we have, everything that you have, you have to give to us, and that's the way that we're going to live. That's not what we're seeing here at all. Because actually, we see that um, they were meeting in one another's homes. So it's clear that some of them were were keeping their homes and not selling their homes in order to kind of gather everything together. And then we'll see, you would actually see later on through Acts as well, that it's very much out of a a sense of of what God had given to the individual and had kind of stirred the individual with in terms of what they were giving. And so what we see, it's not a forced collectivism, it's not giving under compulsion. Rather, what we see here is radical generosity. It is radical generosity that really characterised the fellowship of the life of the church. And what we need to recognise is that any foundation that we lay around generosity, any teaching that we give into generosity, has to start with God. It has to start with God, and the reason why is because God is generous. If we, go, if we um, head into 1 Chronicles, so we're going to go into the Old Testament, and in 1 Chronicles, and chapter 29, um, we see David is praying before the people. So this is just before Solomon is anointed as king. So is David stepping down, and Solomon being anointed and appointed as king. David prays this. Uh, or it says, sorry, it says, Therefore... 
from verse, verse 10. Therefore, David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. And David said, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honour come from you, and you rule over it all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. But now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. But who am I? And what is my people that we should be able thus to offer willingly? For all things come from you, and all of your own have we given you. David recognised that everything we have comes from God. It is all given to us by him. And it's recognised by David, but actually it's a consistent pattern, a a consistent recognition that we see right throughout scripture. Everything that we have has been given to us by God. What we also see is that God is an abundant giver. He's a generous giver. He's not stingy with his giving to his people. He gives abundantly and he gives generously. And maybe, if you like, the, the climax or the pinnacle of that, or where we can see that most clearly, John three sixteen. what are we told? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That is generosity to a degree that is sometimes very hard to understand, or to even fathom, that God would give his own son. He, he gave him. He, he willingly offered his son he gave him see God gives abundantly and God gives generously but I I was in kind of my my study for this morning I came across something on a website that said that generosity starts with God but it does not stop with him generosity starts with God but it doesn't stop with him you see the spirit-filled church which is what we see in Acts. Do you remember where it, where it fits? Coming after Pentecost, where the Holy Spirit is poured out and God's people are filled with the Spirit and then, uh, and then they're living out life together as the church, as those full of the Spirit. Actually, those same people have, should have the same spirit of generosity in their own lives as we see that God has. We see that in Acts 2. As we've just read, we see that as need arose, spirit-filled believers were, were given what they had or selling what they had in order to meet need. If we were to jump a few chapters ahead, in Acts chapter 6, there's a situation in the churches where there's a group of widows whose needs aren't being met. And so it was such a priority to the church that they actually appoint godly, spirit-filled men in order to make sure that that need is met, that it wasn't missed. But it's also something that we see right throughout the New Testament. And we see examples and honouring of generosity. We'll see, we see that in a number of Paul's letters in particular. Where he's either thanking particular churches for their generosity. Or honouring other churches that have been given generously. I think he highlights the Macedonian church in particular. As those who even in the midst of their need. Were still generously given in order to, uh, to help others. And so th- this... Um, kind of generosity and abundant generosity should characterize God's people because it reflects God himself who is generous 
So what we're seeing here in Acts 2, it's not recklessness. It's not bad stewardship. He's not saying, look, don't even consider what you've got. Let's just give it all away, give it all away. It's not that at all. And actually, again, what we see throughout Scripture is that actually we're told to be good stewards of what God has given to us and not to be reckless with what he has given to us. But I just want to jump quickly into 2 Corinthians uh, and chapter 8. Just, because, just to, to help us to understand, okay, then, so how does this work if we're called to be generous, uh, but in light of, of my circumstances, in light of our circumstances, uh, what, what does that mean then for me? In, in 2 Corinthians 8, starting at verse 9, um, this is a passage where, where Paul is in, encouraging the church to give generously. He says that, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Sorry, I say this to you not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, though for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And in this matter I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness... In desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable, according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not, for I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that, as a manner of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Now, we could spend a, a whole morning just on those verses. There's a lot in there. But actually, I think it's a really helpful place for us to go as we consider, okay, then what does this mean for us? As we consider, what's it look like to be a generous people? But how, how do I work that out in, in my current circumstances? Or even thinking about, you know, for us to consider in, in future what our circumstances are. But there's a few things, I think, to draw out that are really helpful. The first one is this, is, is Paul saying in terms of giving and in, in terms of meeting need, he's saying this isn't a command. I'm not commanding you to do this. What he's really saying is, is it's an invitation. It's a voluntary thing. So we shouldn't give out of compulsion. We should give out of our, out of our own of, of our place of feeling, actually, I want to volunteer. I want to give of what I have. I want to give to be able to meet need. The second thing is this, that Paul says, he draws our eyes back to Jesus. And he says, look at what Jesus has done for us. How he gave of himself in order that you would receive the riches that are in him. But it was costly for him. And so actually when we're considering uh, giving, it's not just a practical thing. It comes out of a response to what God has done for us through Jesus. In recognising again his generosity... And in recognising what it cost of Jesus in order that we would receive his, his riches. Actually, the way in which we are with one another is a reflection. It, actually, every, everything in terms of how we are with one another always works its way out of what God has done for us through Jesus and out of the gospel. So when we're considering our possessions and we're considering our money, maybe even when we're considering our time, or not maybe, even, and also when we're considering our time. We should always have in mind, what has Jesus done for us? And how then should that impact how I live? How can I reflect in my own life what Jesus has done for me? And one other thing, very quickly, to draw out is that giving should be done according to what someone has. 
not what they don't have. So it's not done under pressure. You can't give what you don't have. And so there's no pressure to be given. There's no pressure to be, uh, as, as Paul was addressing the church, he's encouraging them to be generous. But he's saying, look, be aware of what you have. Make wise choices. Make good choices. If you haven't got at the moment, don't, you, you don't have to give. No one's pressuring you to do it. But also an awareness of, at another point, you might be in a position where you have more and you're able to. And essentially he's saying, things change, don't they? And for those there's a lack, others will need to give, but there might be another time when those, those people then are lacking and others are able to give as well. And I just think there's some really helpful principles within there as we do consider what it looks like to be generous with our possessions uh, and with our finances. And really the thing that comes through, and I think if you want a, a bit of a principle to, to hold on to here, is that we are to hold lightly what God has given to us. And again, that's not just about money, and that's not just about possessions, that's not just about homes or, or anything like that. We're to hold everything lightly that God has given to us. Because if we hold it lightly, then it's easier for us to, to give it away. It's easier for us to pass it on. Whereas if we're so focused on gaining for ourselves uh, and building up as much as I can of what I have and building as, uh, kind of gathering as many, possession, uh, as many possessions as I can, if we're holding on to those things tightly, when the call comes to give them away, we find it much harder. But actually, we're to hold them lightly because we recognize, remember, um, we look to the generosity of God. But something else, if, I don't know if you picked this up in, in, the, in the Chronicles passage that I read. David knew that just as um, everything that we have comes from God, he also said that we give you only what you first gave us. So it's this recognition that what we have is God's anyway. So what we're giving back, whether we're giving to God or whether we're giving to God through giving to others, it's only because God has given it to us in the first place. And so essentially we're kind of just what God has given to, God has given to us and then we're, we're passing on and giving to others. And I think we, you know, and, and this, is, this is a real challenge and I know I can find this challenge in myself to recognise that what I have actually is not mine, it's, it's a gift from God for me to steward well and to hold well and to hold lightly so that when need arises or particularly when God tells me to do something with it I'm able to do it it's not to say it's always easy it's definitely not always easy but let's consider then what this looks like for us today what does it look like to meet need within the church we see don't we in, uh, in this kind of snapshot if you like of this Jerusalem church we see that needs arose and so they were either given of their possessions or selling what they had in order to give what does this look like for us and I think this is a good question for us to think about even beyond uh, this morning, what does it look like for us today? In his book, I think it's called Why Bother with the Church. I mentioned it a few weeks ago. It's a great book written by Sam Albury. And he gives some examples of what he's seen in churches that he's been, been a part of. He said he's seen of some uh, individuals who have paid for other families to go on holiday because they knew that they wouldn't be able to do that for themselves. He said that he's seen people either loaning or donating cars to others that, that need them. He said in terms of accommodation, people either, um, either giving people free accommodation or more affordable rent in order to be able to, to live somewhere. He also said he's seen numerous 
numerous uh, examples of, of lifts being given and meals being prepared for those who are in need. And as I was reading through that list, I was like, I've seen that in our church. And there's so much more that I've not seen that goes on behind the scenes. And it's amazing. When needs arise and when needs are met, where the body cares for one another and a meeting need. And as I was reflecting on this, I was so encouraged by it. I was speaking to someone this morning who was saying that there's a, a, an emergency situation come up in their family where someone has to, has to fly abroad. And their church gave half of the funds in order to be able for them for them to be able to go, and they might not have been able to do it otherwise. And it's kind of even this morning here, in an, it's, it's this in action today. A need arises, and the, and the church or individuals within the church are like, how can we meet your need with what we have? And it's a really beautiful thing to see. So we need to be those who recognize need. When we, 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 so we need to be not just kind of so... I want to say this properly... We need to be aware of one another and we need to be able to recognise need in one another's lives. And then we need to consider what we might be able to do about it. We might not be able to be in a position to do something about it, but actually, I encourage you, if you're aware of a need within the church or even in the wider community and you're not sure what you could do or you think maybe it's a need beyond what you're able to do, please let the leaders in the church know, whether you're growth group leaders or the pastoral team or the elders, because there's something that someone else or we as a church might be able to do. But we want to be able to meet need as best we can. Best we can. So it's that recognising need and considering what we might be able to do, but also to be aware that often God, by his spirit, may put someone on your heart. And say, actually, even if we don't know the whole details and circumstances, just say, actually, I want you to give in this way to this person. I think I've shared this before, but for us as a family, we had a situation a few years ago where one morning we, we were on our way to something where church people were gathered. I think it was one Easter, and we were eating hot cross buns, I think, one morning. And, and on our way there, me and Steph were talking about how we hadn't had a holiday for a while. And we're like, the only way we can have a holiday is if someone gives us some money. That's the only way it's going to happen. And then as we, we then walked down the road into this house and someone came up to us and was like, I felt God say to me this morning to write out a check for you and it's for something specific that you've been wanting to do. And you're just like, that that's, has to be God. I'm getting goosebumps now. I'm just getting a bit emotional thinking about it now. But as God saw what we were, knew our hearts and where we were at, and then just laid it on someone else's heart, who was able, was in a position to be able to help. But it took them being obedient to the, to the prompting that God had laid on their heart. For them to say, actually, I'm going to hold on to what I have lightly, because God has asked me to give, I'm then able to, able to give. They didn't, know the, the, they didn't know the details of what was going on. But actually they responded to what God had called them to. We're a spirit-filled people. And God leads us by his spirit in many ways to many people and in many circumstances. You see, material generosity can be a very big challenge, particularly in cultures that prize material possessions and the gathering of material possessions. And for the most part, in the cultures in which we live here, it, that would be the case. 
it's a big challenge to talk about generosity. And even as I was preparing for this, I felt there was a certain uncomfortableness in certain things. Even thinking, how are people going to take this? I really need to make sure, you always need to make sure you're saying things in the right way, but even, even more so, it's a challenge because, because it's such a, I think we don't speak about this. It's not really something that you can talk about. Why can we tell people what we think they should do with what they have? So it can be a big challenge. And so we just need to recognize that because it's going to be a big challenge in many of our cultures, it's going to be a challenge within our church as well. And it's, a, it's got the potential to be a weakness within the church as well. So actually, we need to be those that talk about it. We need to be those that encourage one another within it. We need to be those that hold lightly what God has given to us so that actually the things that we own don't end up owning us, but actually we hold them lightly in order that we can give them away. Very quickly, I just want to touch on then onto, onto growth. I feel it would, be a, it would be a shame not to... Well, we really need to, to consider this, particularly as we draw our series to a close. Now, back in week one when we were kind of setting up the series and explaining what we were doing, as we were looking at what it means to be devoted to these four things, really considering why uh, we needed to be devoted to these four things, we spoke about growth. About how actually what we want to see in the church and what we can see in the church is growth in terms of our individual walks with God, so us maturing, becoming more like Jesus, but then seeing growth in terms of unity within the church, but then also seeing growth in terms of disciples getting made and added to the church. So growth on sort of different, on different levels. And we see this in the Jerusalem church. I think we do. We see it uh, in, in the verses that we've been reading. And particularly in verse 47, it's really laid out for us. It says that the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So they would have been growing in their own Christ-likeness. They were growing in their unity through fellowship, but they were also growing in disciples being made and added to the church. The church was growing and growing. The numbers were increasing and increasing. But verse 47, it is made clear that any growth that they saw is God's work. It is God who bought the growth. It is God who did it. It was God who added to their number. You see, we've not spent the last five weeks looking at a checklist, thinking, well, if we just get this bit right, make sure we get these bits right, then growth is, it has to happen. It's the result because we've done all the things that we've been told to do. That's not what we've been looking at. This passage here, Acts chapter 2, it's a narrative of what the Jerusalem church did and experienced. We're looking in on what this particular church was doing. It's not, a, it's not a, some sort of a magic checklist that if we make sure we're doing all those things, then, you know, then growth is somehow going to come about. It's not a formula that, that if we do certain things in a certain way, then it has to result in growth. No, it's God who brings the growth. We were at a, a, a gathering this week of local uh, leaders from within our relational, commission, uh, relational mission community and we were just sharing how things are going within our churches. And one of the, the leaders was sharing how for them as a church, particularly with everything that's going on and having some people back gathering, but not everyone, and people connecting in with di- at different kind of um, consistency and, and frequency, they're just like, it's really hard to know where everyone is at at the minute. And it's hard to know how people are, are doing. And they said, but actually what we're realising is that we really just need to keep trusting God with the people God has given to us. Because it's a bit beyond what we practically are able to deal with at the minute. I thought, actually, that's a really helpful lesson to be reminded of. 
that all the way through, it's all about trusting in God because he is the one who brings the growth. I'm not talking about fatalism here. I'm not saying, well, let's just sit back and wait and see what God does. It's not that at all. And I don't think you could read the Bible and I don't think you could look at, at particularly in, in, the, in the New Testament, at the life of the early church and come to that conclusion because we've all been called by God to make him known. We've all been called by God to seek justice. We've all been called by God to love our neighbours. So there's a part that we have to play that God has called us to. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul writes this from verse 5. He says, What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you beloved as the Lord assigned to each. Uh, sorry, you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he, nor, he who plants nor he who waters is anything but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labour. For if we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. And so Paul recognised that there, is, there are things that God has called us to. And he uses this metaphor of sowing and planting and reaping. But he's saying, yes, I've, I've played this part that God has called me to. And then he's called Apollos. He's called someone else to play this other part. But any growth that we see, is, it's God that brings that. And actually, it's so helpful for us to realise that because we realise ultimately any growth we see is not dependent on us. It's God that brings it, yet we partner with him in what he has called us to. Sam Albury, again, in that book that I mentioned a while ago, he said, I suspect Luke's point is that any church like the one he has described will grow. Devotion to the teaching of the apostles, tangible partnership with one another, and heartfelt praise and worship of God together will produce a community deeply compelling to a watching world. It is a church that God will tend to grow. Such a church will also have a hunger to grow. So actually, we want to be a church who give ourselves, who devote ourselves to the things that God has called us to. But it's God who will bring the growth. You see, the Jerusalem church were wholly devoted to one another, but they were not shut off from or unconcerned for the wider community. In verse 47, it said that they had favour with all the people. They weren't just having favour with those within, with one another. They were having favour with all the people. Their, their impact, if you like, or their reach went beyond the walls of the church and into the places where they lived and into the communities where they lived. And in Jeremiah 29, verse 7, God commands his people to seek the peace and prosperity of the places where we live and where we find ourselves. And it's a call for God's people, not just for them, but also for today. To be devoted to one another, but not shut off from or unconcerned for the wider community, but to seek the peace and prosperity of the places where we live. To make Jesus, <clears throat> make Jesus known, to share the gospel, to seek justice, to love our neighbours. And as we look ahead to Christmas, with Advent beginning next Sunday, as we realised at the start of our time, it's so helpful and fitting and essential <coughs> Excuse me, that as we've been thinking on and digging into what the church is called to do, who the church is called to be, we know that it's only possible because God so loved the world that he gave 
His only Son, Emmanuel, God with us. We're going to respond together now. We're going to sing a song in, in, in just a moment. So if Neil and Nigel, maybe if you guys just want to prepare yourselves. Thank you, Lucy. You saw a need and you met it. But we're going to come and we are going to say the Nicene Creed together. Not just a way of responding to this morning, but as a way of responding to the whole of this series. Because when we're talking about fellowship, what we're talking about in terms of what it is to be devoted to one another is because it's about sharing what we have in common. It's about sharing a common purpose. And in this creed, it declares the truths that we know to be true. It declares where our hope is and what we believe. If we're saying, what is it that we've got in common as a church? This covers pretty much all of it. And it's an opportunity for us to stand together and say, this is what we believe. This is why we're devoted to God. This is why we're devoted to one another. So I invite you to stand. The words are going to come up on the screen. Let's declare the truths of this creed together as a statement. We're going to be declaring it to ourselves, but we're going to be declaring it to one another. Because it's only because of these, only because of what we're going to declare that we can even consider what it is to be devoted. So let's declare this together. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is, seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, with the Father and the Son, he is worshipped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy, catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen.